This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. How do, friends? Welcome to the program. What was the weather like where you are today? Wow. We had a torrential deluge. It was biblical. It was absolutely end of days kind of, uh, a, a, of a downpour. But, of course, I don't know where you are, but we... Uh, we needed it in a big, big way. And uh, it must have uh, rained for four straight hours up uh, up in uh, Thornhill, Old Thornhill, where I reside these days. And uh, the mighty Aphrodite remains uh, over in uh, in the old country in Greece, coming home Monday, picking her up at the airport. It's been th- three weeks. Man, I miss her. I miss her. And the, uh, the little guys, of course, miss her too. Uh, spent the weekend Saturday was a, just a scorcher. So I, I said, I can't have five-and-a-half-year-old twins running around in the house all day. It was, uh, I thought it was just too hot for them to be running outside. So I went and I bought, I went to Canadian Tire, uh, which is our, uh, our our Walmart, for those of you listening stateside, and I, um, not quite, sort of. Anyway, I went to Canadian Tire and I bought myself, I bought the little guys a wading pool. This was a huge wading pool. Uh, something like 12 feet in diameter and 36 inches high. And uh, so, of course, I take this thing out, spent, I don't know, $129. (laughs) But that doesn't matter. You know, it's hot. The boys got to cool off. So I I unfurled this thing, and much bigger than I thought, dragged it out to the backyard, tried to find a level spot, and it turns out you've got a, there's sort of an inflatable ring around the pool that you've got to blow up. And took out the old hand pump, and um, standing there in 105 degrees, <laughs> just 
giving her with this hand pump. And I must have pumped an hour and barely made a dent in this thing. Finally, about uh, about two hours later, I had the, the, the outer ring uh, inflated. And then, of course, you start to fill the pool with the water. Meanwhile, the boys are standing there in their swimming suits saying, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? <laughs> Three hours later, they're in the water. Uh, splashing around, having a great old time. And, of course, I am spent for the day. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, a good time was had by all. So I hope you're keeping cool wherever you are, and we've got a cool one for you tonight, as always. Um, A couple of years ago, I'm down at the uh, Toronto, uh, the um, Canadian National Exhibition, the big CNE, uh, the uh, the grand old lady by the lake, and um, I was doing a remote broadcast for another radio station, uh, producing a radio, a talk show. And um, a couple of these uh, teenagers were sort of hanging around the uh, the mobile unit, big, um, like an RV. And they were dressed, how shall I say, in that goth uniform, you know, with the complete with the black fingernails and, and the black eyeshadow. And uh, they kind of waved me over because they knew I did this, uh, the weekly, uh, the weekend uh, show at the station, talking about what I talk about now. And they had something to get off their chest, and they told me about this experience they'd had with a Ouija board. And I don't know if they were pulling my leg. They seemed pretty uh, legit. They seemed quite frightened, actually. They told me that uh, a couple of years ago prior, they had bought a Ouija board. They uh, they took it home. They contacted. They thought the spirit world, they didn't like the message that came through, so they went out and they threw the Ouija board uh, uh, out. They just threw it out. And about a week later, one of them opens up a closet, and there it is sitting in the closet again. (laughs) So they, once again, they take uh, the Ouija board. This time they walk it across the street. There's a uh, a shopping mall with one of those great big garbage bins out back. They tossed it in that. They figured, okay, that's it. It's gone. Again, a week later, somebody opens up the closet. There it is. They could not throw this Ouija board away. So finally, uh, they they got online. They, They went on the Internet and... They found out the proper disposal procedure for a Ouija board, which is apparently, I think you burn it or something. Anyway, yes, they threw it into the fire, and that was the end of that. But uh, And they learned their lesson. Can you imagine throwing the Ouija board out, and then you find it comes back to you again and again? Well, we're going to talk about uh, Ouija boards tonight, or talking boards, as they used to be called. Um, now, of course, it's like Kleenex, right? It's a brand name, but that's the only name that you call tissues, Kleenex. Well, Ouija boards, that was one brand of talking boards. Now we call them all Ouija boards. We're going to get into Ouija boards. And who um, more credentialed than my next guest to discuss this? She joins us frequently on the program. Uh, tonight we get her for the full hour, and I'm delighted She's the author of more than 50 books on paranormal and metaphysical subjects. Her latest is Ouija Gone Wild, Shocking True Stories. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, welcome to The Conspiracy Show once again. How are you? I'm doing great, Richard, and uh, we have such a fantastic topic tonight. I can't wait to get into it. Well, it's, it's, it is a fantastic topic. I'm, I'm concerned about the prolifer- proliferation of Ouija boards, uh, uh, how people tend to use them as toys, and we'll talk about that. I can't believe that they're being marketed at young people in popular toy stores for children, in fact. I've seen them there. But let's, first of all, let's go back and talk about the history of, of the Ouija board. For those people who've never even heard of them, and as hard as that may be to imagine, there may be some, 
What is let's? They used to be called talking boards. It's, what is a talking board exactly? That's the generic term. And as you pointed out, Ouija is a trademark name, and it's become kind of a generic term. But it's a board made out of wood or cardboard or some other material that has each letter of the alphabet on it, the numerals 1 through 9 plus 0, and sometimes some of the words like yes and no, goodbye, um, kind of a shorthand like that for getting answer, yes or no answers to questions. And then it has a device, which is called a pointer or a planchette, uh, which is used to move around the board. And the idea behind the talking board is that you place your fingers lightly on the pointer or planchette, as, it, as it's called, uh, ask spirits to answer a question, and then allow the spirits to uh, theoretically move the the pointer through your hands to spell out messages and to give numbers and to say yes or no. Uh, these devices have been in various forms for a long time. Uh, you know, human beings have used divinations for centuries, even millennia, to uh, consult spirits for answers. The Ouija board itself, in, in the form that most people know when they go to the store and, and buy a board, that's been around since uh, 1892. Wow. And do these things work? I mean, obviously, there, there, there is the potential for uh, manipulation if one of the people who has their fingers on the planchette uh, decides that they're you know, going to move it around wherever they want rather than letting the spirit move them. I mean, how can you sort of verify that the message coming through is not being manipulated by someone in the room? It's always tricky with different kinds of spirit communications evaluating the response. And yes, uh, certainly I think there are cases where people subconsciously um, move the planchette. They anticipate an answer or, or even in the back of their mind there's an answer they'd like to get. Uh, it's very hard to, to rule those cases out. But yet we have so many cases where... Uh, it's harder to explain away, where the planchette seems to take on a life of its own and literally zoom around the board so fast you can hardly keep your fingers on it. I've had cases like that where I know I'm not moving it, and I know the other person that I'm working with, uh, usually two people put their hands on the, on the pointer. Um, you wonder what's going on because the planchette seems to be operating through some other invisible external force. And yes, people do get accurate answers to questions, information that can be validated. Um, and then there are other communications where things are just totally off and people are given erroneous information that often influences them to do crazy and bizarre things and even commit crimes. The Ouija board has a very strange history. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is uh, with us. The, uh, the book is Ouija Gone Wild. Uh, shocking true stories. We should say the book was w written with uh, Rick Fisher. Uh, now, how do you or who are you communicating with? Uh, do you do you have a a clearer idea now than when you first started to research this? I mean, are we are you communicating with uh, the the souls of the departed on some spiritual plane? Are you are you perhaps uh, being deceived, and are you communicating with with demons? Uh, who? Who are you talking to? I think all of the above, Richard. Uh, there are cases where people have gotten um, validated information that 
uh, they've sought from people who've passed on. They want to communicate with a dead loved one, for example, and they get information that uh, only they and certain family members would know or that would be very particular to that uh, that dead person. Uh, other people seem to have been in contact with uh, spiritual guides, and they've channeled um, literary works, fictional works, inspired spiritual wisdom, uh, starting with the Ouija board and then usually advancing to some other form of uh, spirit communication that's a little faster than spelling things out letter by letter. Then there are these dark messages that seem to come from trickster spirits. They start out very friendly and, and good, and then once a person's trust has been gained, the messages get very dark and threatening, and people often start to have problems at home with nightmares and visitations and um, very unpleasant paranormal phenomena. So these seem to be more of a demonic nature. Uh, all spirit communications have the potential to go awry. Uh, there's nothing inherently bad about spirit communications or bad about talking boards. People can have all kinds of experiences, but it seems there are a lot of tricksters out there who like to get involved and turn things topsy-turvy. Have you uh, had a particularly harrowing experience with a Ouija board? I'm, I'm guessing that you've been involved with, with uh, or have used Ouija boards on, on countless occasions. Can you share a, a story with me of um, an incident where your Ouija board went wild? Uh, there are, I've had a, several experiences where um, communications have kind of gone unexpected and also taken a negative turn. I haven't had any as horrific as some of the ones that we describe in the book, fortunately, where people have been plagued in the home environment after a session has been over. But uh, in one particular case, uh, this was in Salem, and uh, I was with a group of friends staying in a haunted house, and uh, we invited one of the well-known uh, Salem warlocks, uh, Christian Day, who's very mediumistic, to come and do a seance with us. And he brought his, his own Ouija board and a genuine human skull that he uses also as a tool for contacting spirits. And uh, Christian and I worked the uh, Ouija board uh, together, and um, we got some communication where the communicator identified herself as a little girl who had lived in the house. This was a house that went back to um, colonial days. Rosemary, let and, me just uh, let me interject here. We're going to pick up this story on the other side. The music is welling up underneath us, so when we come okay. back, we'll find about we'll find out about this uh, Ouija board incident in Salem. And uh, this is starting to get creepy already. We'll, uh, we'll be back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal researcher. Don't go away. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740. Or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Wow, what was that music coming back? David, that was, that was frightening. That's, there's the soundtrack for your summer. That certainly wasn't the Beach Boys, folks, let me tell you. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, a paranormal researcher. 
And uh, again, over 50 books to her credit. Uh, she investigates haunted places, entity contact experiences, UFOs, mysterious creatures, spirit communication, and more. Spirit communication, that's what we're on about tonight with her new book, brand new book, Ouija Gone Wild, Shocking True Stories. Let's get back uh, to uh, Salem, Massachusetts. And uh, you're, you're there with the, um, the, uh, the number one warlock, I guess, in them, their parts, and you're about to sit down to a Ouija board. Well, the pointer started moving very rapidly, uh, and this was one of those cases where I could hardly keep my fingers on, on the pointer as it zipped around. And the communicator identified itself as a little girl who uh, said she had lived in the house. Now, we didn't have the exact history of all the occupants of the home. We were renting it. It did go back to uh, colonial days, so um, there were probably many little girls who lived in the house. Um, and while this pointer was zipping around on the board, we started uh, hearing these bangings and thumpings on the walls, like something was inside the walls pounding uh, in the room, and these these uh, bangings went all the way around the room. So uh, some of the, the participants got rather spooked by all of this, and we're doing it at night, of course, uh, and uh, this is often what happens to people is, is um, there are manifestations of phenomena and uh, they, they can be quite unsettling to some people. But what happened then with us is typical of many sessions as well. The communication begins to disintegrate and instead of getting coherent words, you start to get uh, gibberish. And after a while, nothing makes sense and the energy either winds down or you just uh, lose patience with it and, and end the session. And uh, that's what happened with us. So sessions often start out good and an energy builds and things manifest and, um, and then things sort of unexpectedly dissolve. Many people still remain unsettled by that and I think this is where some of their problems come in. They get spooked by the phenomena. They can't get it out of their heads. They keep thinking about it over and over again, and uh, they become uh, susceptible to, um, to a lot of things that might be lingering in the psychic atmosphere, so to speak. Another communicator uh, that I have experienced periodically is an entity who calls itself Zaza, Z-A-Z-A. And this seems to be a variation of a, a communicator who is also known as Zozo, and uh, this is a very negative, nasty entity uh, who has shown up uh, literally hundreds of times. Um, and that's all, you know, it, it may even be more than that, but just documented cases. Um, and again, as, as uh, disguised as some, someone friendly uh, with helpful information and maybe even nice and entertaining and uh, then as, as the sessions go on, unmask itself as a very threatening uh, entity uh, and makes dire predictions like somebody's going to die, uh, the entity's going to, to get the people who are using the board, and uh, things like that. Well, once, uh, you, the- once you use a Ouija board, if you use it just once, and let's say Zaza or Zozo uh, shows up, or, or you know, makes themselves known. Have you essentially opened a portal? Have you is that like an invitation, and now they can walk through anytime they want? 
Well, anytime you uh, engage in spirit communications, whether you're using a board, um, uh, Frank's box, um, dowsing rods, even automatic writing, or mediumship, you are opening a doorway to the spirit world and inviting something to come through that doorway and interact with you. Uh, when the session is closed, that usually ends the opening, and uh, you you no longer have a link to anything that you've connected with. But in some cases, and a lot of it depends on the individuals and the environment and uh, sometimes subconscious fears or anxieties people bring to any spirit communications, uh, the link is never completely shut off and uh, spirits seem to have continuing access to a person they can attach in some ways. And the attachments might be temporary. They might go away after a while. In some cases, uh, they can be quite persistent, and people start having ongoing psychic attack problems. And uh, Rick and I document some of those, especially with the Zozo phenomenon in the book. All right. When I opened the show, I was talking about uh, these young uh, goths who came up to me and told me about their misadventure with the Ouija board. Uh, again, I don't know that they were they they weren't pulling my leg, although I they seemed frightened when they were retelling the story, and they couldn't get rid of the Ouija board. They threw it out. It came back to them. Have you have you heard stories similar to this? many times and from many independent sources. So it's, it's hard to ignore because I have encountered it so frequently over the years. Spirits do uh, have the ability to move objects around. And I've had this happen to me in the course of my investigations. I've had things disappear and reappear. I've had objects I didn't even own appear. Uh, and it gets very hard to explain them away naturally. And in fact, I even have uh, I have a, a small collection of Ouija boards. I've got about seven or eight of them, and um, the oldest one is goes back to the 1960s. It's not real old, but um, one of the older ones I call my haunted board because uh, its pointer went missing for a couple of years, and then mysteriously reappeared in the box. And I have absolutely no explanation for how that happened. So I can um, I can lend credence uh, to some of these stories about trying to dispose of a board and not being able to. Now the thing about burning boards, uh, some of the older boards were made out of masonite, which is uh, very resistant to burning, and that may be the case for stories about you know oh I, it was a demon board because I couldn't get it to burn, you know that sort of angle. And by the way, it's been Hollywood that has really promoted the whole demon angle. Um, the board really uh, was considered an entertainment device for decades and decades. But um, other people have, have tried to dispose of it. They've, they've thrown it away into garbage. Um, they've even broken it into pieces and thrown it away. The pieces show up again. Um, very mysterious what happens there. And, and so the occult explanation would be the spirits bring it back. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Ouija board's involvement in particular murder cases. There have been some very strange ones over uh, over the decades, uh, cases where people have been incited to uh, commit murder or attempt to commit murder uh, because the Ouija board uh, told them to, that someone needed to die. Um, there have been cases where Spouses have asked, asked the spirits on the board if they're um, 
spouse is cheating on them, they get a yes answer, so it enrages them and, and they attempt uh, homicide. We, we have cases of jury members consulting Ouija boards about whether or not somebody is guilty. Now, that's a very scary thought to me. It is, and, and hopefully grounds for a mistrial. Cases are not being reported. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that's grounds for a mistrial. <laughs> Uh, there was a very strange case in uh, America in the 1930s where uh, a woman thought her husband was having an affair with her neighbor, and the spirit said, yes, he is, and he's promised to give her all this money. So she and her daughter uh, tie him up in the basement and torture him. Oh, my. Uh, beat him up and um, subject him to... A, uh, shock with electrical wires and to, to try and get him to confess that he's having this affair and, and he denies it. And the man evidently was not having an affair and he managed to escape. They caught him, brought him back to the basement, start torturing him again and uh, he was able to break free and this time he was enraged and he killed his wife. So he was charged with homicide and uh, in the trial all of this came out uh, and about the Ouija board, and uh, he was acquitted. Uh, that um, it, it, uh, it was ruled that he he was justified in his actions. Uh, so it here's here's sort of the the twisted turn on the case is that she gets erroneous information about him and attempts to to kill him, and he winds up killing her in the process. Uh, that's one of the strangest cases on record. Oh, my. Uh, now, has ha, has a Ouija board ever been used to solve a crime? Yes. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century, um, there were cases reported in the news about um, information being obtained on Ouija boards that would help find missing people, missing objects, uh, stolen property, and uh, even murder cases, but whether or not that evidence was ever really admissible as such in court, um, that remains a, a much more murky situation. Um, but at least the information gave leads that did lead to the solving of some crimes. Um, when the Ouija board came out in 1892, uh, it was marketed as uh, an entertainment device, as uh, you know, a way to contact spirits. People didn't have to go and, and consult professional mediums. They had um, the power of, of being a medium right at home, and many people started using them. Uh, there was a lot of publicity about uh, the board, and... Um, it was a novelty, and that propelled it into the headlines. So we, we have a lot of these strange cases. But I'll bet you today uh, nobody would want to admit that they were using a Ouija board to, to solve a crime uh, because so many people think the board is a problematic device. And that's really an erroneous uh, image that um, has unfortunately gotten into pop culture through um, the, what I call the demonization of the board in film and fiction. But I mean that. But that risk is certainly there. I mean, as we've as we've discussed. Well, it certainly is, Richard. And uh, this is a part of the peculiar history of the Ouija board. One of the reasons why Rick and I wanted to do this book is we thought the board really had gotten in recent years an unfair rap. 
uh, with people associating it with bad things and bad entities, when overall, uh, if you look at the whole history of the board, it's, it's really not so. Uh, but it does have this dark underbelly to it, and uh, that could very well be the the way it's been used by people, the things they approach it for. And also, I, I think in many of these cases where uh, crimes have been committed or people have, you know, entered into legal things that were bad for them or divorced people and whatever because the board told them to, uh, it may very well be that they're inclined to do something anyway, and they're looking for any sort of validation to give them permission to do so. Uh, there's um, a couple of instances you cite in the book, Ouija Gone Wild, in which it, the board was used to locate missing persons. Uh, there was a case of uh, Walter Moriarty back in 1920. Um, deserted his wife, two children deserted his wife, and the Ouija board told her uh, where to find him. Now, in some of these cases, the, the board is right, and in others, it winds up being kind of a dead end. But it's very peculiar where the board says, yes, you can find him uh, in such and such a place. And I think she went to the police and, and enlisted their uh, help as well. Um, there are several cases like that I'm... Uh, Oh, Sorry, the details of the Moriarty case escape me at the moment. Yeah, no, it was uh, it's just a, a very small entry here, but he was in uh, he was in New York, according to the Ouija board. Mrs. Moriarty remembered her husband had friends in New York. Police in New York were asked to investigate, and they found and arrested Mr. Moriarty right where Ouija said he would be. Oh, that yes, that's right. Yes, and there have been other cases where the the Ouija board has said, well, it's you know you can find the person in such and such a place. And um, it winds up being a dead end. But in that case, it was right on. So what gives here, where nobody really knew where the man was, and so where did this information come from? Was it a helpful spirit? Was it um, uh, some sort of, um, you know, data bank in, in the cosmos? Um, it's, it's very hard to explain these things away as manipulation and imagination. Indeed. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about uh, uh, Grace Kelly, who is uh, very interested in uh, Ouija boards, and we'll also find out the mystery of Orob. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal researcher, discussing Ouija gone wild, shocking true stories. We'll get yours as well. Phone lines available to you. Stay tuned for the numbers. Back with more. Don't go away. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. If you have an experience with a Ouija board, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, it can be a negative experience, a positive experience. Uh, welcome back. Richard Serrett with you here on The Conspiracy Show. Rosemary Allen Guiley is uh, with us. Ouija Gone Wild, Shocking True Stories. Uh, the book is written with Rick Fisher. And uh, as you point out in the book, Rosemary, many of the early uh, history cases of the Ouija board were collected by uh, Rick uh, as a result of his own Ouija experiences. Now, back in 97... 
he had he had contact with a spirit claiming to be a Native American, and this communicator gave the unlikely Indian name of Orop. Tell us about this. Orop was uh, a woman who said she had uh, lived between 1784 and 1840. And some of the details that she offered about herself seemed to make sense. That is, um, she sort of corroborated herself. She didn't give contradictory information. And she said she had lived in a, a place called Chickies. Now, Rick lives in central Pennsylvania. <clears throat> He's a longtime paranormal investigator, and uh, we've worked together on many projects. And uh, Rick had never heard of Chickies Rock, but it turned out to be a very real place uh, and had quite a bit of Native American lore associated with it and also a, a lot of haunting lore. It's a big bluff. Uh, over the Susquehanna River. And uh, she said she had uh, lived there and she had two children and uh, talked in some detail about her diet and her lifestyle with very strange spellings. There were a lot of OPs in her word and uh, words and her name even uh, being Orop, a very unlikely Native American name. Uh, but that's the case with the, the Ouija board communications that... Um, uh, they seem to be very unusual sometimes, and there's no way to verify whether or not an Orop ever actually existed. But she gave the name of a place that turned out to be real that he had never heard of, and which became a very important site for his future investigations. Now, uh, one day uh, he asked her if uh, she would actually show up for him uh, if he went to Chickie's Rock, uh, would she manifest in some way for him? And uh, she said um, that uh, he should bring her a flower as a gift, and she would bring him an arrowhead as a gift. So he went to Chickie's Rock at the appointed time, and nothing happened, but he had forgotten to take the flower. So uh, he gets back on the board when he gets home and, and says, um, uh, he asked, oh, where was Arrowhead? You know, like, what happened to you? And the answer he got back was, where was Flower? Oh, my. Uh, now, when she decided to stop communicating with him, he felt very sorry. He was sad. He felt like he was getting to know someone who was on the other side or in some other dimension. Uh, she wanted to be reunited with her children, apparently, and um, seemed to be separated from them somehow in the afterlife. Well, Rick went on to have a lot of other um, communications with personalities, and um, some of them uh, had stranger stories and others. Some seemed to be very uh, what we would consider normal historical stories of people who lived in the past. But it's none of them came up with information that he could historically track down. And that doesn't mean that, that they aren't real. Uh, it just may mean that the records are unobtainable or don't exist. We just have no way of, of a knowing. All right. Now, we'll, one of the, sorry, uh, I was just going to say we'll, we'll, we'll get to some phone calls here in a moment, but um, um, we're, we're just going to get ready to take a time out. But I just wanted to, to tease a little bit about what's going to come up. I want to talk about uh, um, Grace Kelly. Uh, she, she was... She was a, a, a fan of, of the Ouija board. She, this was well known that she, she was involved in, in uh, spirit communication. 
I didn't know that about her. It got reported in the news media, and uh, this was, um, well, it was surprising and not surprising because um, so many people considered the Ouija board entertainment, but um, uh, she did like to use the Ouija board to uh, ask about her horse betting, and uh, this was reported in the entertainment uh, uh, news, and um, what wasn't reported was whether or not she ever won anything on the advice of the board. Mm. And uh, was uh, was uh, Prince Renier uh, aware of this uh, uh, interest in the Ouija board? Um, he probably was. Um, the article, the one article that uh, we were able to find about this, uh, didn't say what his opinion was, but um, uh, she shared this interest with uh, the wife of the actor Cary Grant. Her name was Betsy. And the two of them would get together and uh, get their horse betting advice. Uh, and this was considered to be kind of silly entertainment. Uh, Cary Grant knew about it. Uh, and um, I'm gathering, though, that there was never any indication through the Ouija board to Grace Kelly about how, uh, how she would die or... If there ever was, it was never reported. And uh, there have been Ouija board cases, by the way, where deaths have been accurately predicted. Well, we can touch on that when we come back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Ouija Gone Wild, shocking true stories. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Again, we're here with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and it's uh, Ouija Gone Wild, Shocking True Stories. Uh, we'll get to yours right now, and we'll begin with David in Toronto. Hello, David. Welcome. Hello, Mr. Serrett. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I appreciate it. Welcome aboard. Uh, Miss Guiley, first a uh, little story about Ouija boards. Back in high, when I was in high school, which is years ago now, uh, my buddy built his own. And he tried to contact his brother, who died in a, by a drunk driver when he was eight years old. When he was using it, a whole bunch of weird stuff started happening in the house. People were visibly shaken that were that attended that night. And he claimed to see shadow people after in the house. Um, to so, it a spirit board or a talking board does open portals, but can they stay open first? They might stay open depending upon how the board has been used and um, what is attracted to the particular session. And the big wild card is human consciousness. Some people are more mediumistic than others, and they've, they've got kind of a, a natural portal almost all the time, which can be activated. And when you augment it with something like uh, a session with a, a major tool, uh, that can heighten the link. Um, in Ouija Gone Wild, we have um, a whole chapter on shadow people. Uh, I had quite a few cases reported to me where people said pretty much the same thing. They, they had sessions that just sort of took a dark turn, and the shadow people manifested in the room both during the session and lingered afterward. And uh, in some cases, people had uh, a period of um, nightmares and disturbances, poltergeist effects, um, and they, some of them had to struggle to, to get past it and to close the door. Uh, in these particular cases, it may be the individuals themselves who are more vulnerable than, than other people to 
um, spirit attachment, and in the right environment, in the right opportunity, something happens. Most people are going to, to use a spirit communications device and not have those kinds of issues. All right, David, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's go next to Virginia in Niagara. Hello, Virginia. Welcome. Hi. Um, I want to talk about Luigi Boards, but I must just tell you something first. My father's sister, my aunt, used to be a psychic for the British royal family of her time. Ah, wow. There was a lot of psychic in my family, and I've spoken with you before. I think you know about that. Yes, of yes. Well, it's, it's, it's not so well known that, uh, that Queen Victoria uh, was... It wasn't Queen Victoria. No, I, I understand, but Queen Victoria was very interested in the spirit world. The and whole family, all the yes. royals are. Still to this day, amazing, interesting. Um, my story, I, after my father had just died... Um, this man came up to me, who I'd never met, and asked me if we could talk. And I was dubious. And so we went to a couple of places, and then I took him to my apartment. And he um, lay on the floor, and he created a Luigi board. And he put it on, and the, we couldn't keep this. We had a, a glass upside down. We couldn't keep it on. It just went crazy and knocked everything flying. And he got cross, and he said, Virginia's father asked me to come to her, not the rest of you. Get lost. And he said to me, a lot of your friends have recently gone, and they've left you things, and you've got them all in this room, and they're all trying to get talking with you, and they're not working together, and I want to come with your father. And then it settled down, and he gave me some information about my father, which was very accurate, and I had to work on. But the funny part was he fell asleep, so I put a pillow under his head and a blanket around him and covered him tightly. And now the only way he can get out, uh, we were several stories high, and the only way he can get out was through the door, and there was only a lock. It was an old lock, and you could, I had to use the key inside and outside to get in. When I got up in the morning, he was gone, but it was as though he had just evaporated. The, the blankets were still there with the marks I put in them around him. He had just gone, and the door had not been opened. My word. And I asked several of my friends if they knew who he was, and nobody seemed to know. The other thing that amused me afterwards when I thought about it, he never had anything to eat and drink. He always passed it to me to eat and drink. Wow. What do you think that? So, do you think that was a ghost, uh, Virginia, that you'd invited in? Could be. I really don't know. It was something that was very unusual. But I've had a lot of unusual things happen in my family, and we've discussed them. We and have I think indeed. It was something that he maybe brought, sent over to communicate with me. I don't think it was um, of the earth. Virginia, thank you for sharing that wonderful story. Remarkable. Well, it sort of scared me a lot, but I, I'm not the scared sort. I've had a lot of phenomena happen. Well, I uh, look forward to you sharing some more in the future. What do you make of that, Rosemary? It's very hard to come up with an explanation for a story like that. It's uh, very unusual. There's, there's just simply no explanation for it. Uh, there are manifestations of spirit where uh, they seem to be real people, and uh, they do interact with the living for a period of time, and then suddenly they're gone. They've fulfilled their purpose, and that's it. You mentioned, uh, or our, a previous caller, David, mentioned uh, shadow people. Um, what about uh, the jinn? This is an area that, uh, I mean, you are really on the, on the forefront of researching into uh, the vengeful jinn, the title of one of your more recent books. Uh, are there 
uh, cases where people have used a Ouija board and then reported uh, having some sort of a genie or gin infestation in their home? There are uh, entities that I think are gin. Uh, most people don't call them gin because a lot of people in the West don't know what the, the gin are or genies. Uh, but um, in, in the chapter that we have, Who Are the Communicators?, we do discuss uh, the presence of the gin. And um, I am convinced that shadow people are a, uh, a form that the gin take uh, when they want to come and cause uh, human beings trouble. Uh, the the spirit, trickster spirits who like to interfere, who like to be nice and then nasty, cause problems, and even manifest in the environment with poltergeist disturbances, uh, are all characteristics of jinn. So some people might call them demons or astral spirits uh, or evil spirits, uh, but um, uh, they may be, in fact, uh, Jin, who could be just having a joke on us to wanting to uh, to torment people. What about Ouija boards or talking boards used for treasure hunting? I know you write about that in Ouija Gone Wild. Well, there's a number of kinds of treasure hunting, and we have some cases in the book where uh, the Ouija board told people where treasure was buried. And uh, there was one case where two teenage girls went out uh, into, um, you know, frigid conditions in the wintertime and disappeared uh, because uh, they, were, uh, they were going to go find the treasure. Then we have another case of a, a man who was told where to dig for treasure, and um, he, he dug and the, the earth collapsed in on him and he was killed. Um, then we have the treasure hunting through the lottery. Uh, will the Ouija board give winning lottery numbers? And we have cases where um, winning numbers are given in a couple couple of instances for small wins, and so people keep uh, consulting the board and keep betting, and then the numbers go bad. Uh, they they don't win out. In fact, Rick had one of those cases himself where just for a lark he asked uh, for a pick three, um, combination and got the numbers, didn't buy a ticket, and the numbers turned out to be the winning numbers. So um, he went and told his co-workers about it, and everybody got excited and wanted the Ouija board to predict the next pick three win, uh, and they were all going to bet on it. So he got three more numbers, and uh, the, the numbers didn't win. It was like, ha-ha, I had a joke on you. Now, are there do's and don'ts for using a Ouija board? I mean, have you uh, are you able to provide us with um, sort of a a list of things that you shouldn't do when you're using a Ouija board and things that you should do? Yes, we have uh, a chapter and an appendix as well of tips for uh, grounded use with a Ouija board. And some of them are just common sense things, like you, you shouldn't use one, uh, you know, if, if you've had um, alcohol or, or any sort of recreational uh, stimulant, so to speak. It's not a good idea uh, because you're not very well grounded. Um, if you're tired, if you're not in good health, uh, if you're just trying to entertain yourself. And this is where a lot of young people uh, I think make trouble for themselves is uh, they want to be entertained, they want to be scared, they do a lot of provoking, oh, let's see what you've got, you know, scare us, that sort of thing. Um, and if you make contact with the spirit world, there are, there are spirits who will oblige you. They will be happy to scare you. You'll get what you ask for. Um, so 
any kind of spirit communication should be approached with common sense to um, to ask for specific information or a specific contact if um, things get out of hand to to be firm to close the session uh, a lot of people bring anxiety and subconscious fear to any sort of spirit communication and uh, this is why I recommend that they not be used in paranormal investigation uh, simply because people have um, bizarre reactions themselves to the Ouija board. They're afraid of spirit communication. And that sort of atmosphere invites problems as well. Um, closing a session is very important. You end it uh, and instruct uh, all the communicators to uh, to remain in, on their side, that they are, are not to stay in the physical environment. Another thing that people need to do is to shut their minds off about the session, not to go over it and over it in their heads, uh, replay it constantly, uh, think about it, um, especially if, if they've been a little frightened uh, about it because these sorts of things invite a continuing link. If you've had a, uh, some sort of a nasty entity uh, communicating with you through the Ouija board, um, what do you do? Um, you, you, you stop the session immediately? How do, you, how do you make sure that there's no further involvement with that entity? How I handle that when that's come up, and it comes up in various kinds of spirit communications too, is um, uh, I tell the entity to stop, to go away, uh, that it's not welcome. And if it, if it does not, uh, then I end the session. And uh, I just end it very firmly, and uh, I uh, instruct everything to go away, and I bring it to a close. And also that nothing is to stay, nothing is to linger in the environment or with any uh, individual present. And uh, then it is is important to bring your own body energy field to a close as well, to uh, to sh- shut down your consciousness, so to speak, to to end that link. Very and quickly, Rosemary, final question. The proper disposal of an unwanted Ouija board? Uh, putting it in the garbage, um, throwing it in an incinerator, um, removing it from the premises is the best way to, to simply get rid of it. If it comes back? Uh, do it over and over again, and uh, if it keeps uh, coming back, uh, give it to some. Find someone who's knowledgeable about the paranormal and um, uh, objects that have spirit attachments to them, and hand it over to them. Rosemary, uh, thank you for Ouija Gone Wild, shocking true stories. Always great to talk to you. Thank you, Richard, and uh, don't forget my website, visionaryliving.com. Excellent, visionaryliving.com. So long. Thank you. Good night. Good night, and don't forget my website, richardserrett.com. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 
Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the program, friends. In uh, just a few minutes, we'll be joined by biblical prophecy expert Nils Hammerin. It's been a while since Nils has been on the program. He, the author of Seal of the End Times, and uh, we'll do sort of a, a roundup of uh, end times news, if you will. He'll, uh, he'll we'll examine some recent news events uh, as seen through the prism of end times uh, prophecy. Nils Hammerin coming up. But first, what we're going to do is uh, just update you on a story we touched on last week. Well, touched on. We, we dedicated an hour to it. Uh, recently, a former CIA official who acted as liaison to the entertainment industry, i.e. Hollywood and the motion picture industry, uh, Chase Brandon made some rather compelling public statements. He, he said that everything that we've heard, I'm paraphrasing, everything we've heard about the Roswell UFO crash in 1947, the U.S. Army covering up the recovery of a, uh, an extraterrestrial craft and a recovery of alien bodies, everything we heard about that is absolutely 100% true. Chaz Brandon made these statements on the uh, the public airwaves, and I, um, I put together a, a panel of ufologists, including Victor Vigiani, who joins us on this program quite frequently, uh, Robbie Graham, uh, and my next guest, uh, Grant Cameron, who, uh, of course, has been doing some amazing UFO research uh, with... Um, the various presidential libraries uncovering documents uh, through the Freedom of Information Act and uh, finding out, you know, various, uh, how various White House administrations have been involved in the UFO issue. Grant Cameron, welcome to The Conspiracy Show once again. Well, thanks for having me on, Richard, and I'm glad you're still following the story. Well, we, 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 we need to tie up some loose ends here because too often when we talk about these stories, uh, you know, in this uh, the 24-hour news cycle, uh, we have these huge, you know, amazing stories, and then often we're left to wonder, well, whatever happened to, to that? Well, here we had one, Chase Brandon, a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about this, and then we discussed it on the program last week, uh, you know, what did you make of, of Chase Brandon's comments? What did Robbie Graham, Victor Vigiani, and so forth? So you, uh, Victor, and Robbie actually decided to contact the CIA. First of all, tell me how you communicated this to the CIA and remind us what you asked them. 
Well, basically, it was a letter drafted by uh, Robbie Graham, who's uh, like Chase Brandon is sort of the media expert for the CIA. Uh, Robbie Graham is sort of the media expert for the UFO community. He drafted the letter. I was one of three signatories on the letter. And basically what we asked the CIA is to uh, confirm that, that Chase Brandon was with him, with the agency. Uh, we asked uh, how did he get on coast to coast? Was he given authorization to get on coast to coast? Uh, what was their reply you know, their response? Where are the documents that he's talking about? All this kind of stuff. And um, basically they replied to us immediately and said that uh, they would investigate the thing, they would look into it, and that they would let us know as soon as possible. Um, then uh, we got the reply back and it was uh, really not a surprise to any of the four people that had signed the letter. And what they basically said is they found nothing in the agency's holdings to corroborate Mr. Brandon's specific claims. So basically, and then they referred to a 1997 study that they had uh, uh, done at the CIA, which reviewed 50 years of UFO uh, involvement by the CIA and basically came to the conclusion that the vast majority of UFO sightings were uh, high-altitude spy planes that people had misidentified and the same old story, there's really nothing to UFOs. So they basically came back and that's what we figured they would do. They wouldn't say Brandon was a liar. They wouldn't say he was telling the truth. They just basically said, we looked, we couldn't find any anything that confirmed what Mr. Brandon is, is saying. They didn't answer the question that we asked uh, in terms of... Um, What's your position on this? Did you talk to Mr. Brandon about this? Did you ask him where the files were? Um, in fact, Billy Cox, who's a reporter from Florida, who was following the story, wrote a, a report on it, uh, actually phoned and actually got a hold of the archivist at the um, Langley, in the archives at Langley, the headquarters, and he refused to talk. He said, the only thing I, uh, I'm going to stand by the statement that was put out by the CIA. So basically what the CIA has done is what I think all the agents have been doing for 50 years is they'll leak a story, they'll put it out, then they'll pull the story back, and then they'll go back to the, the company policy that uh, UFOs aren't of national security uh, importance, uh, there's no threat, uh, there's nothing extraterrestrial, and we aren't involved and there's no cover-up. So that's basically what they did is they basically said, we have nothing, we can't, they didn't really deal with the response, they just said, we can't find the documents he's talking about. Didn't say whether they'd used him to help or anything. Just basically used that and now are standing standing tight in terms of making no more no further comment on uh, what he said. And Brandon himself is sort of uh, running for the hills. Uh, he did, uh, uh, you may know, he did another coast-to-coast -coast, uh, yes, yes. Uh, interview uh, just a, a couple days ago. He did one with Britain. But what he told Lee Spiegel, and Lee Spiegel did the major article at the Huffington Post, uh, and this is an article that has uh, received one, 1 1.5 million hits. It's a massive viral uh, sort of uh, article that's gone out there on Chase Brandon, and Lee Spiegel talked to him on Friday, and Chase Brandon is saying that now he's sort of screening the people that he does interviews with, and he's only going to talk to people who actually are going to want to talk about the book. He doesn't want to talk about the, the UFO part anymore. He just wants to talk about the book. And, uh, of course, that avoids all the researchers who have the sort of tough questions as to, uh, you know, the specifics of the story that he's telling. Now, the CIA, when you contacted them, and your question was, uh, can they verify, essentially, whether Chase Brandon was 
working for the CIA. What was their response to that question? Uh, they didn't respond to anything. All they responded at the beginning was they said, uh, we sent them a whole list of questions, six or seven questions. And they all they stated in their initial reply was, we will look into the, the situation uh, quickly and we will get back to you. That's what they said. That was their only answer. And when they came with their final answer, they didn't answer any of the questions. All they said is they found nothing in the agency's holdings to collaborate Mr. Brandon's specific claims, the claims of the Roswell box. So they're basically saying we couldn't find the documents. Didn't say where they had looked or who looked or whether they'd asked Brandon to help them. They just said we can't find the documents and really didn't refer to the coast-to-coast interview or anything, didn't address any of the questions, and now they're refusing to talk about anything. They just uh, are saying, that's our statement, we're standing by the statement. And so that's what I've said they've done for years, is numerous agencies have done that, is they'll leak a UFO story, and then when the story starts to get, starts to move, they pull it back, uh, and they just sort of leave it and say, we're not interested in UFOs, and whoever is telling the story uh, ends up holding the story, whether it's Bob Lazar, whether it's Corso, or all these people in history that have told these stories. And uh, the, the story gets out, and the cover-up is maintained, which is, I think, what they're trying to do. They're, they're leaking the story and keeping it under control by not really addressing the questions. Uh, but there seems to be little doubt uh, that Chase Brandon was, in fact, the CIA's liaison with the entertainment industry, correct? Yeah. I, other, uh, Robbie Graham has had correspondence with other CIA people, and they have basically confirmed that. And everybody that checked into Chase Brandon uh, confirms that, that he was 25 years uh, working as, as a covert agent and then 10 years as the media guy. I don't think anybody denies that part of the story. Uh, that sort of holds up. He is who he says he is. Uh, it's in terms of how accurate his story is. And I think basically what's happened is he's – he has gotten access to classified material through uh, whatever means, by talking to people, by looking at documents or whatever. And because that's classified, he can't talk about that. So he's made up this story about this box that he found and has put out the story uh, and now is sort of into a position where he's saying, I just believe Roswell happened and uh, we're going to leave it at that. And I believe that, that extraterrestrials have been here for thousands of years and that's my belief, and what I saw in the box confirms my belief. And uh, he's sort of he doesn't want to talk about the specifics of of this story that he initially told on coast to coast. And, and so then, what are we what are we then to do with with his statements originally that that he looked into this this secret file, this box stamped Roswell, and uh, saw artifacts and documents that he said corroborated all that we've ever heard about Roswell. What are we to do with this information now? Just dismiss it, forget it? I, I think it just goes the same as the Lazar story or the Corso story or a story like there's, the, there's another CIA agent by the name of Ronald Pandolfi who leaks stuff through a, an intermediary and he's told stories about the live alien at uh, Los Alamos. And all these stories is, is what's happening. Get, the story gets out and it sort of floats around. People sort of pick up on it. And then the, the actual core of the story falls falls apart like chase brandon will just sort of disappear i've i've said i'm in contact with lee uh spiegel who did the initial story who's still in contact with with chase uh he met with him for an hour last friday but chase didn't want to do an interview so they just sort of uh chit-chatted a little bit about this and that and uh so i've said 
we've got to keep the guy talking. I don't think it really helps because Chase Brandon is only a pawn in the game. I think unless you get the CIA to answer the questions as to um, who Chase Brandon is, whether they talked to Chase Brandon, uh, whether they gave him instruction to do this, that, that's where the only place you're going to get any significant movement on the story. Uh, Chase Brandon, it, the story's not going to go anywhere because he really can't, even, even himself, he says, I don't know what happened to the box. I don't know where it went. And so the, that part of the story just sort of fades away. He can't prove it, and we can't prove that he's lying. And that, that dies. It's, it's the CIA. It's the, the agencies that are leaking this stuff who are the agencies where they have the answers and they know what's going on, and they basically aren't talking. They have these sort of guys that sort of go out and spread this stuff, and uh, it, it basically goes nowhere. It's like it's, it is. It's frustrating. They've done this for forty years. They've done this kind of stuff. Grant leak these stories, and it just disappears into nowhere. And that's that's what's going to happen here. The story will just eventually fade away. All right, Grant. Well, thank you for the update, uh, Grant Cameron. The website is www.presidentialufo.com, and uh, well, we'll try and st- we'll follow it wherever it goes. I guess that's the best we can do. But Grant, thank you for yeah. the update. On the, on the website, they ha- I have quite a few updates. If you follow the website, uh, I have almost daily an update of the story. Terrific. Thank you for this. All right. Thank you, Nils Hamron. End times prophecy. When we come back, stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. I think most of us are aware that uh, uh, these unmanned drones, uh, these unmanned uh, uh, flying vehicles are being used, widely used uh, by the U.S. in Afghanistan to spot and target uh, suspected insurgents and, and Taliban operatives in that country, as well as uh, neighboring Pakistan. They've been used by um, American government agencies like U.S. Customs and Border Protection, a division of the Department of Homeland Security for a few years in uh, an observation surveillance uh, capacity. Uh, but you may not be aware that earlier this year, uh, uh, Congress, with little fanfare, passed an FAA reauthorization bill uh, which uh, President Obama signed into law that makes it much easier for the government to put up to 30,000 of these unmanned spy planes or spy drones into American skies. Uh, we're going to discuss that in a few moments along with uh, this amazing story. Uh, a former police officer who retired from the FBI due to post-traumatic traumatic stress disorder linked to her role in the aftermath of September 11th terror attacks has recently written a book about seeing legions of angels guarding the Pennsylvania site where a hijacked airliner crashed. Lily Leonardi served as a liaison between law enforcement and the families of the passengers and crew members killed in the United Airlines Flight 93 crash. And uh, she arrived on the scene about three hours after the crash. And uh, now, according to her new book, In the Shadow of a Badge, a Spiritual Memoir, she talks about her vision of angels and argues her life has been changed by uh, more by what she didn't see that day. Uh, we're, de- we're going to delve into that right now uh, with a biblical prophecy expert who's studied the Bible for nearly 60 years. He's the author of Seal of the End Times. And uh, we're going to look at recent news events as seen through the prism of end times prophecy. A great pleasure to welcome back to the program Nils Hammerin. Nils, how are you, my friend? I am fine, Richard, and it's great to be back on your show. 
You really have been doing a good job up there in Toronto, and uh, we enjoyed getting the storm that you sent down to us just a few hours ago. Did you get walloped by that? Was that was I, I described that as biblical earlier? That was that was just a, 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 a an Old Testament deluge. There are very very strange things going on in the New Jersey area with weather. We have had a storm appear out of nowhere with 1,000 lightning bolts in 15 minutes. That occurred about a week ago. And people are looking at these things and wondering, this is not normal. There are things going on that just don't make any sense. The whole country is a drought scene. And uh, it just rains and rains in some places and no other place. It, It just, there was a storm down in Florida that stayed in one place for four days. And it did not go into Texas, which needed uh, rain badly. You mentioned a drought, Nils, and, and uh, I, I want to talk about this global food crisis that's uh, looming and ga- grain prices starting to soar. You mentioned the drought. And that they're saying that this is the worst drought in the United States in a quarter of a century. That's and, right. And this is giving rise to uh, uh, you know old, an old-fashioned commodity rally on world, world markets. But you're getting key grain prices hitting highs and causing food crises in, in vulnerable parts of the globe uh, when we can least afford it. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of tinder around the world uh, ready to be ignited. So this is all, you know, the last thing we need are, uh, are uh, you know, food shortages and, and, uh, and so forth. What, what can you tell me about what's going on with food prices and, and this drought? Well, I would connect all of it to um, a, a basic problem. Uh, whether or not people believe this or not, it's in the Bible, and uh, I read it, I read it every day, and I say to myself, how simple it would be for us to make things better for the United States, for Canada, and for many parts of the world, just by listening to the words in the Bible and doing what it is suggesting. And one of the things is that uh, the Bible states that in our time, I mean, just looking at the time slice that we're living in right now, um, those people that ignore the Bible or ignore the plight of Israel uh, are actually doing something which is bringing to themselves harm. If the United States would announce tomorrow that they're going to change their policy and back Israel to the hilt, the drought situation would ease within days. And all these strange things that are happening to crops, uh, invasion into uh, crop genetics by companies like Monsanto, government hoarding, government changing of things, all that would begin to be taken care of in a better way. Uh, Right now, the United States is thumbing its nose at the world at prophecy, at religion. Religion is uh, declining in the United States at a horrible rate. You can go past churches on a Sunday and see two cars outside of the church, and three years ago, the same church would have had maybe 25 cars or maybe more. Church attendance is declining. People are laughing at the, uh, the words in the Bible. Religion is looked upon as some kind of a sickness. And people don't realize that we're being slowly coaxed into this position, even though it may not be something that we would on our own come to the conclusion that it was correct. 
and it is absolutely not correct. Uh, it's one of those things that you try to explain to people, the Bible is real. The Bible is very, very real. The thing is, too many people have taken Bible verses and made of them what they wanted. They're not reading the Bible as it states itself to be. And uh, laying the groundwork for this sort of thing, you have to know about the Bible backwards and forwards, maybe spend a lot of time uh, studying it. But there are key verses in the Bible that help us a great deal in understanding uh, just what's taking place. Right now, uh, in the time that the Antichrist will be in power, that is called Shabuah 350. It is the last block of prophecy time that we have available from the Bible. That means that we are in the end times. There's no question whether we're in the end times or not. If you know how the Shabuah clock works, which is God's clock, we have only one Shabuah block left. It hasn't started yet, but when it once starts, we even know the exact length of time that it will last, and that would be six years, 328 days. That's not a hard number to understand. And in fact, if you knew that number, and you knew when that Shabuah started, you would know the exact day that Armageddon would occur. In other words, you would know when the uh, horrible times of the uh, earth that is uh, being plagued on us right now would end. So some might say, though, you, you look around the world and we get back to the, the, the this global food crisis, this 25-year, uh, or this drought that we're in. Uh, in, 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 in Yeah, the breadbasket in the United States, twenty the, the worst drought in 25 years. You've got corn prices that um, uh, have, uh, let me see here, they've They've surged 40% in the last three weeks alone. That's right. 40% on corn prices. What is it, in the end times, what does it say about what's going to happen to food supplies? I mean, uh, there will be droughts. And there are not only droughts, any drought is definitely going to cause a food shortage. We're having a surge in uh, uh, the world uh, population, which is not being met. By new farms. In fact, I can read in uh, New Jersey magazines that cover New Jersey, which is not really a farm state, but we're losing farms at a high rate. It's small farms. There may not be big farms, <clears throat> but every, every year we lose farms. We don't gain any farms. We don't gain any food. All that has been shifted out to the Midwest, and now big, big companies uh, are running the show the way they want. Maybe they want high prices. Maybe they want a food shortage. That is the illogical way that uh, some of these people think. They it, want war. It says the, this recent surge in, in, in uh, grain prices have, has added 75 million people to the number of chronically hungry people in the world. Uh, and uh, other estimates put that increase up to 160 million additional chronically hungry people. Nils Hamron is with us, End Times Press, author of Seal of the End Times. Uh, the other story I wanted to get to, Nils, has to do with uh, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control. They're now apparently calling U.S. households and demanding child immunization records as part of a vaccine surveillance and tracking program. I mean, I don't care what side of the vaccine issue on. That's just, to me, that's just, uh, that's invasive. That's wrong. 
Absolutely, and it's it's increasing in uh, something like this actually is a bellwether. When something like this happens, you know that the the republic, which the United States is, is in serious trouble, simply because a government agency see, thinks it has the right to call people and demand that their children are immunized, whether or not the immunizations work, and many scientists state clearly they don't work, and in fact they can be very dangerous. A certain percentage of people that get these uh, shots wind up dead, and uh, there are the people that uh, take the shots. Of course, they don't benefit at all from what the shot's supposed to help them with. In fact, it may actually create the disease that it's supposed to be against, such as the flu vaccine. Uh, and, pe- people are know, getting a letter, excuse me, Nils, people are getting sure. a letter from the CDC, uh, or they're getting a, the, the, anyway, they, the, first they get a letter, and it says, your phone number uh, was chosen randomly by computer, explains the letter, which goes on to say that the CDC will use your information to generate a map of vaccine compliance, no doubt to later target low compliance areas with increased vaccination propaganda or even court-ordered immunization mandates uh, like the one that was witnessed in Maryland uh, not too long ago, where people were actually um, uh, told to show up at the uh, the county courthouse with their children in tow, and they were they were for, they were vaccinated by basically by force. They couldn't leave without getting their children vaccinated. Now, hard to believe this is all happening in the land of the the brave and the land of the free. It's also hard to believe that uh, people are becoming uh, uh, mentally off kilter. Little children are getting these uh, immunizations, and they turn into uh, uh, people that are not fully formed. They have problems, mental problems. So this is uh, linked to uh, injections of these common uh, diseases that uh, the government is pushing. And uh, scientists analyze the uh, fluid that's in some of these injections. It turns out there's mercury, there's aluminum, there's all kinds of things that in the in the human body have no purpose whatsoever but how does this uh, how, how do you see this um child immunization uh, you know the tracking uh, surveilling and tracking vaccine programs and it, the immunization of children how do you see this as playing into b- biblical end times prophecy it is uh, government increasing its control of the individual in other words the human right to free will is being challenged by governments and uh, other types of uh, forms of control of people. Uh, It's something which is ungodly. A human being is born with a brain and we're supposed to make our own decisions, our own, uh, you know, path out our own life the way we we want to do it and form our own ideas of the, the right moral codes and so forth. And we can only do that if we have free will. All right. What happens when when the government intrudes on you like this, the natural reaction in most people is to back off and, and, you know, let let others decide. Let the government do what they want and so forth. And uh, that way uh, you're losing your free will. Okay, Nils, got to take a time out. When we come back, we'll talk about this ex-FBI agent claiming she saw angels guarding... The Flight 93 site. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, Nils Hamron, and Times Press. Stay with us.
where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Nils Hamron is uh, with us from End Times Press, and uh, the book is Seal of the End Times. We'll tell you how to get a copy uh, of that. Uh, first, uh, I just wanted to uh, go back to a story I touched on uh, earlier, and uh, you know, we like to think of the, the drone war as something uh, sort of far away, uh, being fought in the deserts of Yemen or the mountains of Afghanistan, but it's a lot closer than many of us are, are, are aware. There are 64 drone bases on American soil. These are these unmanned aerial vehicles, and uh, they are, uh, well, in many cases, in, um, in, in Afghanistan, they are armed, and they are being used to target uh, insurgents and Taliban and, and terrorists and so forth. Um, but these bases in the U.S., you've got um, uh, a Predator, the, the Predator, you've got the Reaper, you've got medium-sized um, uh, drones called the Shadow. They're in about 22 different bases. There's something even smaller called the Raven. There's a miniature one called the Wasp in 11 California and Texas um, uh, bases. Uh, now, according to the uh, Posse Comitatus, Comitatus Act, that pro- prohibits the U.S. military from operating on American soil, which means that these drones couldn't be used against U.S. citizens. There's no evidence that drones have violated that so far. Uh, but i got to believe you know it's coming. I mean... I think it's a fine line between, you know, using an unmanned uh, a drone on a, on, a, on, a, on a citizen and merely spying on a citizen. And then, of course, we have the story of the U.S. Congress okaying 30,000 flying drones uh, to be used uh, perhaps on Americans across U.S. cities. Nils Hamren, what do you make of this disturbing trend, the use of it's drones? A, it's a very interesting uh double-sided kind of a story because they made uh, the 30,000 flying drones are actually 30,000 licenses. In other words, you have to have a license if you're going to fly a drone because there are private companies that want to do this. There are companies that do uh, logging and uh, they do aerial surveying and so forth. A, A drone is a perfect way for them to do some of this work. And then there's the argument that on the uh, coasts of both, uh, well, even on large lakes, when there's a, dr- a distress call, it takes time for boats, uh, even airplanes, to get over to the site where the distress call is coming from. A drone could get out there very quickly and could be programmed to cover an area just automatically, and uh, that is what some of these license applications are reading out. They're also saying that in uh, U.S. Uh, government parks. There is a constant need for people to go out, uh, especially in bad weather and in um, maybe uh, dark, uh, complete dark and so forth. And I believe these drones can operate, some of the drones can operate in the dark, uh, looking for uh, lost hikers, campers, people like that. Well, that's an excellent point. Yeah, so in other words, this thir- the approval for 30,000 flying drones is basically they're going to license 30,000, and these can be these may be uh, private ventures. They may be used for search and rescue, so there's an upside. These can that's be very the useful. The downside would be exactly what you were inferring in the beginning, that they can become spy tools. And that is, you know, where you have to draw the line. 
if they're being used uh, humanely, uh, so be it. If they're being used to cause trouble, uh, to spy on people, uh, find out what's going on, let's say, on a large farm, uh, spy on uh, if there's uh, drugs coming in there or something that they want to track, guns are coming in. Uh, or they could use them on the, the uh, borderline, you know, with Mexico, uh, trying to keep an eye, um, and let's say a continuous eye, on who is coming across and where are they going. Uh, that might be a way of setting up uh, a patrol of our borders in a fairly inexpensive way. Uh, if it's looked in that regard, I don't think the drones are a bad thing. But once it goes bad, how do you how do you counter it? What are you going to do? Get aircraft uh, uh, weapons that uh, can shoot down a, a drone? Uh, well, again, let me, let, let's put this through the the end times uh, the end times filter, and we'll do that when we come back after the uh, the break. Uh, how these drones might be used? Suppose, uh, let's say, during the uh, the reign of the Antichrist. Uh, we'll also talk about a former Pentagon analyst who says China can shut down all the telecom gear it's sold to the U.S. There's a daunting thought, and we'll discuss that and more with end times prophecy expert nils hammerin will also take your calls back with more in a minute here on the conspiracy show my name is richard serrett providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions this is the conspiracy show with richard serrett on zoomer radio am 740 Uh, so much, uh, so much to discuss. So little time. Uh, Nils Hamron here with End Times Press, the author of Seal of the End Times. We may have to institute this as a semi-regular feature, as we examine uh, news events through the filter of uh, biblical prophecy. Uh, Nils, uh, I do want to eventually get around to, uh, time permitting. Um, you have a very interesting uh, theory as uh, to what might behind what might be behind the UFO phenomena we just heard recently from or earlier from Grant Cameron talking about a former CIA official uh, who, who who stated publicly that everything we've heard about Roswell the UFO crash there in 1947 is absolutely true including the recovery of alien uh, cadavers uh, but first I want to get your take on um, a former Pentagon analyst saying that China um, has the covert capability to remotely access communications technology sold to the United States and other Western countries uh, by China, that they've got sort of a backdoor almost into computers, systems, and so forth at the Pentagon. Right. Uh, Richard, this, this particular story uh, really bothers me because you say to yourself, the Pentagon has all these geniuses working there, and here they are buying uh, chips for um, highly costly weaponry, airplanes. <clears throat> the X-15, for instance, cannot fly without chips. And why would they buy chips from China, which they did? And now the X-15 planes are all grounded until the chips are replaced. That is going to take up to three years. They have supplied the chips that we are using in our ICBMs, uh, all kinds of air-to-air missiles, all these things that have to have a chip in them to steer them or to maneuver them or receive signals, uh, they're all coming from China. But the other side of the question is, 
in order to make these chips, you need pure silicone. And China is hogging all kinds of strategic materials in such a way that eventually, unless you kowtow to them, you will not be able to build some of the things you would like to build or do projects you'd like to, uh, to be involved in. The X-15, as far as I know, is still grounded. So, and, and, so the idea here is is that uh, okay. So you have, for example, these Chinese telecommunication firms such as uh, ZTE Core. They've got these electronic back doors to the telecommunications technology that they sold to the U.S. and I don't know, maybe even Canada. That's correct. They have the X thirty five, which has been on the drawing boards for years, has become increasingly. Uh, difficult to engineer and to uh, even to produce. Uh, I don't believe one of them was ever produced. It's still on the drawing boards. And now the last I heard was the whole project was canceled uh, simply because it requires so many chips. And the only way that they can get these chips is through China. And the only reason I can think of that is we don't have clear, uh, pure silicone. If you use silicone with uh, impurities in it, you wind up with an uncontrollable uh, product. So, so what, what's worst-case scenario? I mean, there were, there were rumors um, uh, during the Bush administration uh, that Dick Cheney was aboard, uh, I'm not sure if it was uh, Air Force One, but uh, whatever the vice president flies around in. He was flying from Australia to the U.S. And what happened? Uh, first, the lights went out in the main cabin. Then all TV sets and so forth went out. Uh, the bathrooms, I think, <laughs> went out. And uh, Cheney was in there, and uh, the plane's navigational system uh, was compromised. And uh, they received a message to follow a certain uh, uh, area of the uh, Pacific. They were flying in the Pacific at that point uh, to turn and to take up a certain azimuth, which they did and they were uh, directed to land uh, in a Chinese city. And when they did that, Cheney came out of the airplane ranting and raving, you know, what's going on here and so forth, and screaming at the top of his lungs. And the Chinese met him there on the runway and said, we brought your plane here with our computers. And he didn't know what to say. And then they told him that we have control of your weapons, we have control of your airplanes, we have control of your radar, and so forth. And this is proof to you that we have this. He got back in the plane and he was allowed to fly back. They took away the controls of the plane and uh, returned everything to normal. And very little uh, ever really was put in the press about it. But it was a direct control of a U.S. aircraft, highly selected, and a plane that normally you would think would be, uh, it was U.S. Air Force One. And obviously sending a not-so-subtle subtle message uh, uh, as to who's really uh, running the show and who's in control. Right, and, and the Chinese really were not threatening. They were just saying, we are controlling this. You are not controlling this. And, and in a way, it was like saying they're, they're taking away power from the United States, and they're going to run the show, and we're not going to run the show. And if you want chips from us, pay us and just shut up. All right. I want to, uh, I want to move on to the, um, the 
statement by a recent, well, it's a book actually, by a former police officer. She retired from the FBI uh, due to post-traumatic stress disorder, which was linked to her role in the aftermath of the September 11th terror attacks. And she's written a book claiming that she saw legions of angels guarding the Pennsylvania site where a hijacked airliner crashed. This is Lily Leonardi. Now, Nils, you uh, have been dealing with the spiritual uh, world and spiritual matters for close to six decades. Have you heard similar stories, or is this a trend? Not only stories. I mean, I can tell my own stories. I have three angels that I have seen in my lifetime. And uh, one time I saw an angel in the parking lot of GM because I I was supposed to report to work late and not when the shift started. So when I got to the uh, parking lot, uh, there was no activity. There was nobody in the area. And I pulled into the parking lot, and I found a uh, place to park right by the front gate. And that was great. So I swung the, the van around, and I'm backing into the uh, one parking space there, and I see this girl walking by the place where I just drove in, and I couldn't understand how she could be walking there because I just came through there, and the whole street for about a half mile in both directions is completely uh, fenced in. So I parked, and I got out of the van, and I uh, began walking in that direction. I realized this woman, she was very pretty, and she was wearing a sweater of a certain design. And, uh, but below her hips, there was no body. She was walking on legs that were totally invisible. That's how I knew that she was an angel. And it did not scare me. It did not flip me out or anything like that. I have seen too much. So I just knew it was an angel, but I didn't know what it was going to lead to. And I got to the gate, and she had passed uh, a pillar that was part of the gate, and momentarily I didn't see her. And then I looked up and down the street, again, half a mile both ways, nobody in sight. She had disappeared. The next day in a New York paper, there was an advertisement for a sweater exactly the same as she was wearing. And I decided there must be a reason, there's a connection of some kind here. So I called up the company that had the sweater, and the company's name was the same as my wife. And I asked about the sweater, and they told her, yeah, we have it in different sizes, and I bought one. And uh, my wife wore it for angel protection for many weeks. And uh, we don't know if it actually gave her protection or not, but I did follow through on what happened with that. So angels to me are are not new. And I've seen other angels, one in a gas station and one somewhere else came into a place I had as a business and uh, told me about my end uh, days, what I would be like when I was older. And And what do you make of Lily Leonardi's story, this former FBI agent? I think it's a great story, and I think that, you know, she's a very honest person. The book she wrote, I think, is worth reading, because uh, it's just something... Here she is, an FBI person trained to go to a crash site or to go to a place where there's trouble and evaluate things quickly. And she gets there three hours after the crash, there are no bodies, and there's practically no airplane. So what probably crashed there was a drone. And probably the same thing happened at the Pentagon. Again, no bodies. No, uh, a drone was probably the one that went in there and blew up so that uh, people would think it was an airplane. 
But, but, but particularly, what, what do you make of her, her report that she saw a legion of angels guarding? Uh, I mean, it would hard, be, uh, hard to imagine why angels would guard a, 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 drown, or a, a drone had it, been, uh, um, had it crashed. But, but she saw angels guarding the Flight 93 crash site. What do you make of that claim? To me, it's a, an uplifting kind of a report because angels are very helpful. They try to be helpful. Uh, there's several kinds of angels. Uh, angels you don't want to mess with are the cherubim angels. They are the holy wing of uh, Jehovah's military, and they are there are plenty of those right here on the earth right now. Um, I talk to a person on the phone at times, and that person claims to be an angel in human form. And uh, being an angel, she said, believe it or not, it's very hard being on the earth because the pollution really gets to you. And if you're on the earth, you have to get off of it pretty quick. You can't stay around. And they said that, she said, that uh, angels have like contracts. They, they'll only come to the earth if it's just 30 days or 60 days. Um, because of the pollution. The air is so horrible for them. And uh, these angels that uh, were seen in Pennsylvania, isn't it interesting that you see angels and you see no airplane? Hmm. Indeed, indeed. You had an interesting theory as to um, uh, what, uh, how angels may in fact be connected to the UFO phenomenon. Well, uh, that is quite a story, and um, what I would like to do quickly, I'll take maybe 30 seconds just to give my background so people don't think I'm a total nut. Um, many, many years ago, in the late 50s, I was working for NASA, and my capacity was uh, I was working in the design engineering area, and uh, I had my own small department. Uh, one of the r- responsibilities we had, we were working on the X-15 uh, rocket engine, and uh, I, my responsibility was to supply numbers and uh, also parts lists and uh, centers of gravity of the engines. Uh, there were several engines. We had test engines and we had production engines. Uh, it was Project 24. And uh, <clears throat> uh, while I was doing all this, everybody in the engineering field, you know, had time to spare because of, of slow work and so forth. And they would try little games like uh, how much is the gravity force between the Earth and the Sun. And they would use their computers and figure out what it would take to put a cable there and take up the load that was being done by gravity. And they found out it would take a stainless steel cable 300 miles in diameter to hold the Earth in place and not take off from the Sun. And uh, there's no place to put this cable. So basically we studied things about space travel. We studied uh, trajectories. How do you get from this planet to another planet? How can you use a planet as a sling? Um, What are the uh, possibilities of ETs coming here to this uh, planet? And if they did come here, what would they do? Um, And the present ideas of ETs are really unsustainable once you find out how far the nearest planets really are. An ET in a uh, homemade uh, rocket ship of some type uh, would never make it. The ET would have to be in something that was utilizing uh, uh, some kind of a space hole, uh, some kind of a um, 
way of you know, overcoming distance rapidly. And that would uh, be at the level of practically angels. So the next question is, um, are these uh, UFOs that we're watching uh, coming into this uh, area uh, of the uh, planet, are they UFOs? And uh, if they are UFOs, why are they here? Who's in them? Why are they uh, not landing? Why don't they talk to somebody? Why don't they uh, shoot at somebody if they're uh, evil? And uh, the truth of the matter is, even if a U.S. fighter fires at a UFO, nothing happens. The UFO is not in any way threatened. So uh, because we're running short on time, Nils, your yeah. theory is that these, these uh, UFOs are piloted by what? They're piloted by four cherubim angels. They are the holy arm of Jehovah. And he is getting ready to bear the holy arm, which he has done in the past. Bearing the holy arm means that the angels become visible and active. And right now, there have been so many sightings of UFOs coming into the Jerusalem area. They come down at night. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, visitors to Jerusalem uh, wait up and until uh, they get to the uh, low hours in the morning. And lo and behold, here comes a UFO down right on the Temple Mount, just about 150 feet in the air. Uh, flashes a light or just leaves a bright light on and then takes off. And it only stays in the area a short time. But the thing is, why do they keep coming down to the Temple Mount? They have some kind of an interest in that as a, uh, let's say, a um, site that they would use to know distances, uh, to, um, let's say, map out the borders of Israel. But it, there's no question uh, that we are uh, heading into uh, World War III. And World War III involves a major, major invasion of Israel. <clears throat> and it is stopped by the cherubim angels. All right, Nils, got to cut it there, but we'll pick it up uh, again. Uh, appreciate it quickly. How do people get a hold of uh, Seal of the End Times? Well, they could call us at 908-725-6264. Uh, and we'll be glad to ship them a copy. And that will come with updates so they know just what's going on in the recent times. 908-725-6252. Nils, great talking to you again. We'll do it again soon. Same here. Great show. Nils Hamron. All right, back next week with Marie Jones. A journey through portals, relativity, wormholes, and other adventures in time travel. Check it out. And the, the website, of course, www.richardserrett.com. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I say in the dark, speak in the light, what you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night.
Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.